This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, once again, he's the Cliff Booth to my Rick Dalton, Perry Seibert. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm the one who we now know officially killed his wife. That's right. A That's lot right. of other people. <laughs> it's very true. But you know what? I'm no pimp. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just an alcoholic who's very insecure. Uh, also, I'm Rick Dalton. But uh, today we are doing a special episode where we talk about the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a movie we talked about back in 2019. Uh, This is Quentin Tarantino's first novel, and uh, we thought it might be fun to talk about. We both read it. Um, So I'm looking forward to getting into that. But Perry, first, what have you been watching? So, Chris, I was working on uh, something the other day, and I needed to have background noise on. And I decided I put on something that uh, a movie that I, I saw so many times on on VHS that I don't I, it's just ingrained. I, if you picked it up, I could probably start spouting it. And I, I just know it's rhythm as well. And I decided not, you know, just I wouldn't have to think about it. And I probably hadn't had it play in front of me in I don't know how long could be 20 years. Uh, I, I put on Beverly Hills Cop. And that's not what I want to talk about because that was exactly as I remember it. Okay. The next day I was in the same situation. I just needed some background noise and I put on Beverly Hills cop two, which I had not seen probably since I saw it in the theater as a teenager. And I want to, I'm, I'm no great fan of Tony Scott. (laughs) Tony Scott made some movies. I really enjoy. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but I don't care for the Tony Scott aesthetic for the most part. That's, Far too slick and commercial and cold and ugly and not often fun. Although sometimes it is. Um, and I think I can safely say after having that on in front of me again and, and, and perusing the, the man's filmography, it might be his worst movie. It might really? be one of the most soulless, just ugly, automatic cash grabs <laughs> from the 80s. I can imagine. I mean, it's truly shocking how unfunny it is. I mean, unless you are a Eddie Murphy completist or a Tony Scott completist, there is absolutely no reason for this film to exist. It is a really, truly, like, awful example of, you know, the the uh, the Simpson-Bruckheimer <laughs> action films of the 80s. It really is just empty and has, has no style beyond Tony Scott's like I said, just relentlessly slick uh, work. It's it's really bad. <laughs> it's just it's just so cold. And yep, you were stupid enough to pay for this. So here we're gonna let Eddie Murphy yell at a lot of people for a while, and we will show you some car chases and some gunfights that will mean nothing to you. <laughs> I okay. So I know I, I know I've seen Beverly Hills Cop. Um, and it's been a long time since I've seen that. I don't think I've ever seen Beverly Hills Cop 2, 
I have seen Beverly Hills. I've never Cop seen three. three. I, I almost thought about putting it on just to it, find out if Landis could could do anything with this or at least make it funny. No, <laughs> no, it's oh, it's it's awful. It's awful. And here's the thing. Like I it, it takes place. Right. In I remember park, this. That's right? all I know about um, it. And and I love amusement parks. As we're recording this, I'm going to Kings Island next week. When I was in high school, I was obsessed with writing a screenplay that would be like die hard at an amusement oh. park. And I was in high school the time Beverly Hills Cop 3 came out. So this should have been in my wheelhouse. But uh, I saw it. I was like, oh, no, this is <laughs> Even even at that age, even when I was in the heights of Nutty Professor fandom. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, this might have come out after Nutty Professor or before Nutty Professor. But still, I mean, it, that's even sadder because it means I was in like middle school and should have been even more easily impressed. <laughs> but uh, nope, nope, nope. Uh, it's hard to believe Eddie Murphy taking a paycheck. Well, and he's got a story by credit on it. Like he was in, I don't know whether that was just sort of the, I mean, cause he's also, also Eddie Murphy Productions is one of the production companies on the film. <laughs> so it, it isn't, I mean, he had a lot of control over this and, uh, and um, wow. So lazy, just so, so soulless eighties action crap. And, I mean, and I know there are people who love that. I know there are people who love Tony Scott's style in that capacity. I still say I, I, I hate Man on Fire, but at least that's more ballsy and insane than this. I mean, this is just lazy. <laughs> Man on Fire is, has at least some sort of gonzo respectability about it. <laughs> as irrespectable, as, as unrespectable as that movie is. And at least, you know, at least Domino is crazy. You know, Beverly Hills Cop 2 is just, uh, wow, you just, you, it's, it's so, there's no, no one's heart is in it. It's so cold. Yeah. It's so. That sounds like a Simpson Brook. Yeah, of. really. Yeah. And, and there are some of the stuff I really like, but um, it's funny, just the other day on Twitter, someone was conducting a poll who was the better Scott, uh, better director, uh, Ridley Scott or Tony Scott? And I'm like, why is this a conversation? Like, like Ridley Scott has made some terrible it's, films. It, I, I actually like this conversation. So I'm willing to have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, here was my answer. Ridley Scott has made some really bad movies, like really terrible movies. Ridley Scott also made Alien, Blade Runner, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to go to bat much for Gladiator, but I enjoy <laughs> Gladiator. Like he, he's made, he's made. I, I really like American Gangster, Black Hawk Down. Like he's made great movies. He's made crap. Tony Scott, I think, was a little more consistent. Um, but I don't know that he ever reached the heights. But like, I, I do love Crimson Tide. That's, that's, that's his a, best that's movie. A real pleasurable movie for me. I, I enjoy that. Um, I, I say Ridley just because. I mean, Alien is one of my 20 favorite movies, but I do think Tony Scott might've been more consistent. You knew more what you were getting with him each time out. Um, but man, every film by him looked the same, whereas at least Ridley Scott took some that. Uh, yeah, swings. this is all a matter of whether you prefer reliability or greatness. <laughs> That's really what this comes down to. I, I agree with you. And for me, there's only one great Ridley Scott movie and that's Alien. Uh, maybe he finally got Blade Runner right. I don't know. 
I, I'm, I'm sick of trying to figure out if we had it right or not after four or five I'm, recuts in the movie. But uh, uh, yes, Tony, Tony at least did have a sense of humor. Right? <laughs> uh, and, and, but I, I've, a bad Ridley Scott movie has more interesting things in it than a bad Tony Scott movie. <laughs> And so I'll, I'll give Ridley the nod on this, but I, 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 I understand those who would rather take Tony's really consistent, slick, empty, <laughs> facile entertainment. Uh, I've, and again, often very well, like I said, Crimson Tide is great. And I love that we're talking about Crimson Tide in the episode when we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino, because he, of course, did, or, <laughs> did a polish on that script. So, you know, it's, it's right that we're having this conversation. Last thing I'll say on this, uh, I actually... I think I prefer Villeneuve's um, Blade Runner movie over Ridley Scott's Blade Runner movie. I, I actually think I like that one better. I don't know that I like either of them. I I have, I can, I respect Blade Runner. I understand Blade Runner's influence and I understand mm-hmm. how hard it is to do that and how great it is, especially in 1982. Um, I mean, you know, 2046 certainly looks even better but but at least I, I I understand the people who love Blade Runner. I understand why it has the status it does. It just never played to me, even as a kid. I, I remember seeing it in the theater and thinking, okay, it looks cool, but I don't really care. <laughs> it didn't it move me. Uh, and it never has. And no matter what edit of it I see, it doesn't move me. So, uh, you know, and then... You know, Tony, I would have rather have seen Tony Scott's legend than Ridley's. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always Ridley said Scott's that. Scott's uh, Top Gun. And I've, yes, yes, Ridley's Top Gun would have been awful. Tony's <laughs> Top Gun is the only way to see Top Gun. Not that that's not a fascist piece of entertainment, but it is there. I, and I've always thought that if, if, I don't know if anyone bothered to sit through The Counselor, which is an atrocious film. I no, really hate I like that Carmen movie. McCarthy. Oh, uh, and Cor- I mean, it is Cormac McCarthy is no screenwriter. He's a, he's a he's a prose writer. That's a terrible screenplay. But I do think it's utterly fascinating because I do think it is Ridley Scott's attempt to make a Tony Scott movie, and I think it I should be v- viewed in that lens. I can almost say you should check it out. Otherwise, oh, steer clear of that movie unless you want to watch one of the most insane speeches and scenes of a woman doing something on a car that you'll ever, ever see in the movies. Boy, I'm doing a great job of teasing this. I'm making the counselor sound like something people really should go check out, aren't I? That's okay. I, I think Ridley Scott uh, made paid his brother the worst compliment ever. Oh, yeah, Ridley Scott played his, paid his brother the worst compliment ever when he dedicated his Exodus movie to him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw that and I completely forgot he did that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, so I'll talk about what I've been watching. Uh, it's, it's more of a what we've been listening to. Um, I've actually been listening to a podcast about a movie I've never seen, have never had an, any desire to see, but now I feel like out of sheer morbid curiosity, I need to see it. Um, I have been listening to the podcast, The Plot Thickens by Turner Classic Movies. Are you familiar with this podcast? Yes, I have okay. heard. I have not listened yet, but I, I am aware. Please tell the viewers, the, the okay. viewers, please tell the viewers well, what they season, can hear on that show. Sure. Every season they have a certain topic about movies or directors. And um, I remember my boss last year was talking to me about, I think it was on Bogdanovich. Uh, and I didn't listen to any of it, um, but I kind of queued it up and 
just I meant to get back to it and I never did. Um, but this season, they're doing a whole season about the making of The Bonfire of the Vanities. Yes. Um, based on Julie Solomon's book, um, The Devil's Candy. And yes. she actually is the host through it. But she she really details the production, the marketing, everything about a movie that was notoriously bad. And Yeah, it is. What's great, she has original audio from when she was interviewing people. So she's got Bruce Willis uh, just really acting like an ass. Um, Brian De Palma talking about how you know great this is going to be. Tom Hanks, utterly miscast. Um, I've never seen yeah. a movie now. This makes me want to see it because it just sounds so ill-advised. Um, I, I'm a sucker. Like I'm not a huge behind-the-scenes person, but I love stories about fiascos. <laughs> like... <laughs> They're really fun for me to read and listen to. And this has just been a fun read, a fun listen. Um, I was really looking forward to the uh, Gene and Roger podcast that The Ringer did, which is kind of a little too surfacey for my taste. It's enjoyable, yeah. but it's too short. But this has really scratched an itch. This is, this is really good, fun stuff. So I do recommend that. So I, 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 the reason I haven't listened to the plot thickens, the first needs is because it's interesting that that whole Bogdanovich series came out at the same time that uh, 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 you must remember this was doing a whole series, a whole season on Polly Platt. Hmm. And it very much felt like Bogdanovich marshaled the forces over at TCM to get his side of the story out. And it felt really icky to me because I happened to side with Polly Platt <laughs> During much of that and always have i wasn't won over by that podcast i just liked the poly Platt story a great deal uh and i didn't listen i haven't listened to this one because i've read the devil's candy okay and it is fantastic i i it is it is one of the great portraits of a disaster you will every i would go so far as to say it's the best i've ever i prefer it to final cut the book about the making of heaven's gate which is is really good and worth reading but it was written by someone who was in on it. It was someone, you know, at the studio who okay. played a part in the bad decision-making. She's got no ax to grind in this book. She just, and she doesn't make fun of anybody. Like, it's not, no, she's the, very tone, the tone is not, wow, look at stupid Hollywood. It's just, mm -hmm. she just was given full access to people acting horribly and making terrible decisions. And it's like, Oh my word! And and the other reason, uh, the other reason I, uh, if you've never read Bonfire of the Vanities, Chris, have you? I've not read Bonfire of the Vanities. See, yeah, do, read read both books <laughs> okay. because the book, I, 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 you know, given the ask the impossible question, what is the great American novel? That is one of the four books I would answer with. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think it's one of the great works. Uh, and the book is spectacular. And to understand how awful the movie is, you really do have to know the book. Like you can, uh, you can appreciate that it's a bad movie. You can't appreciate how bad a movie it is unless you've read the source material okay. <laughs> and understand how badly they fucked it up. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, colossally just how awful it is. And the great thing about the book, and I'm sure if she's got the audio still, it's in the, it's in the podcast is the just the the minute decisions along the way that everybody makes that's just wrong. They've just made the wrong decision at every possible turn. 
and no one seems to notice it from uh from tom hanks for some reason refusing to let uma thurman play the part that melanie griffith was given in the yeah, movie yeah that's the first episode and if you've read the book you're like this is brainless this is obvious uma thurman is that character especially at that point like that's that's just obvious why would tom hanks make this decision this is stupid why would you cast tom hanks in the first place as someone who's supposed to be completely unlikable Mm -hmm. why would you cast bruce willis as a character who's supposed to be british it makes no sense thankfully he's not playing british in the movie (laughs) they were smart enough to pull back from that The characters, the character in the book is a British tabloid journalist. That's the point. Like, they just, they misplay everything from the book. Um, so yeah, oh, you got, if you enjoyed that, you've got a couple of great reads ahead of you. Yes, uh, I would good. both read the Selma and absolutely read the Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a fantastic novel. Well, I think reading actually sets us up for a really perfect segue because this week we are talking about a book. Um, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out 2019, right? It was two years yes. ago. And we reviewed it on this podcast. And I think it was also on our top, top. Was it your top film of the year? It probably wasn't my top, but it was definitely in the top five. Probably okay. top three. It, it was absolutely in my list too. Um, yeah, a movie I, we both really liked. Um, I haven't seen it since that screening, <laughs> um, but I've wanted to. And I want to read it. want to go revisit it even more now. Having read the novel, this is Quentin Tarantino taking his script and writing a novel of it and like Quentin Tarantino would do it doesn't do what you would expect (laughs) and uh so you can this came out beginning of July you can read it now um so we're going to talk a little bit about it I don't know how deep we'll go into spoilers we'll try and not spoil anything specific but I don't know how we can really get around talking about some things that happen in the movies and in the movie and happen differently or earlier in the book or um, not at all yeah yeah um so perry why don't you start with this I, I i think you're a little higher on the book than i am but um what did you think of the novel so here's why i i ended up really liking the novel a great deal um for the first half of it i was okay like, all right, well, this is a, interesting that he's decided to do a novelization of this. And it reads fine. He's a writer. Uh, you know, there's nothing, it, it's not, there's nothing embarrassing in it. It's not like, oh my God, this is some vanity project he can't pull off. No, it's, it's, it's perfectly entertaining. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the hard case crime imprint, which is, okay. uh, they, they, they reprint uh, out of print old-fashioned pulp stuff and they give it these great new covers and mm-hmm. I, i'm a big fan of the label and it, it for the first half of it feels like that's what it should be on it, it uh it feels like it's a throwback to that quite consciously but then about halfway through quentin pulls off this great thing where he deepens the he deepens one of the themes in the movie he lets himself um live in the space of one of my favorite things in the movie longer and in more depth and at the same time he adds an element that's let's uh, i'll be a little more specific i i think I, i've said it many times i love inglorious bastards because i think inglorious bastards is a film lover's ode to the power of film yes. quentin tarantino literally allows film to blow up adolf hitler 
it's not going to be better than that. And I do believe that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his love letter to actors. I, it's why DiCaprio should have won the Oscar. He was robbed. <laughs> and he, he helped <laughs> he helped get Brad Pitt an Oscar. Uh, and how much of the second half of that book is given over to really getting inside Rick Dalton. And while, uh, while the movie is satisfied to let him be this sort of idiot, the book, you know, lets him be an idiot and then gives you a deeper sense of his own realization that you realize he is self-aware in a way that he, not that he's not in the movie, but they just can't spend as much time emphasizing it. And I think that's really great. I prefer the ending of the book to the ending of the movie. I think it's a much, I think it's a, it's a, just because that is kind of my favorite stuff in the movie. And I think it's a great note to end on. Um, and what he does with Cliff Booth is uh, not only give you more details into that backstory. And again, that I won't spoil, but what I really love is how he uses the Cliff Booth character to write more about Manson and the phenomenon of Manson in a way that is thematically connected to all of it. The movie just plays it for these are the hippies and they represent things are changing, mm-hmm. uh, which is all they have time to do for all the other stuff Tarantino wants to do in the movie. And I'm not knocking that. That's fine. But this lets it play with the psychology of what Manson was in a really fast it's one of my favorite chapters in the book uh and on top of that if you are a hardcore tarantino level film nerd which i will gladly admit i am not (laughs) (laughs) there are there are there are uh there are in jokes and references in this that are so deeply wedded i i highly recommend if you read this and are interested he was on Elvis Mitchell's uh, podcast, The Treatment, to talk about the book a couple months, a month ago or so. And it turns out that Elvis Mitchell was one of four people that Tarantino was sending chapters of this to as he worked on it, because he said, I knew you were one of the only people on the planet who would catch everything. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a really good conversation about the book. Uh I, I, if, if, if that level of, uh, of cinematic anthropology is of interest to you, this is, this is a, it's a, it's a really good benefit. I'm surprised. I was surprised how good I, I, I felt it was, especially by the end, even as it becomes, um, uh, he takes this wonderful, weird path where he writes himself into this own mythology Yeah, <laughs> in a way that should be obnoxious mm-hmm. but because it's quentin and i understand that's what he would do uh i, I i'm not only okay with it's really good <laughs> it's it's I, I i'm really i'm really good with the 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 two ways he does it one very obvious way and one less obvious way if you if you aren't as hung up on quentin as some of us might be it, it's funny and I, I do think we might be more on the same page than than i thought um th- there's issues i have with it that i'll get into um, one thing, I, I, I mean, in many ways, this delivers kind of what I expected from Quentin Tarantino doing a novel of one of his own movies. I, I get the feeling he is one of those kids who read the novelizations of films to see the parts cut out of the movies. You know, like when you would when you were when I was growing sure. up, I would go buy the novelization for everything, and I loved it when I got to something 
that wasn't included in the movie. I always thought that was fascinating. And there are stretches of this book that are that version. <laughs> like they they play he does not he does not give a one-to-one retelling of the movie to the fact that the climax of the movie it, it's in there, but in a different fashion, much more offhanded and much earlier than you would expect. I would um, even argue it's not there. It's, you it's have to have seen the movie. Yes. And to really I, understand what, what is being referenced. And I was taken aback by that when I got there. I appreciated that though, because, because the violence of the end was the one thing that kind of kept me from totally loving the movie. There was a kind of slapstick. I, I, I had a real problem with the violence toward women in it. Um, and so ending the book on a more thoughtful note, uh, it basically ends with a phone call and it's, really a sweet ending that i haven't really seen tarantino do sweet very often um, no and and i like that um there are stretches of this book so a film critic i like uh jeffrey overstreet he he's also a novelist he's an english professor uh, out in seattle and he used to experiment he did it a few times with these things he called all thumbs movie reviews and basically they were short stories where the characters also encountered the films he was writing about. And it was kind of film criticism via fiction. Sure. And there are stretches of this book that are just like that. There are, I counted, I think it's 10 pages given over to Cliff Booth's foreign film preferences. Uh, oh, that stuff is so good. Yes. It is. And, like I've always thought, like okay, if Tarantino writes anything, like any book or anything, he should do a book of film criticism, which apparently he is doing. Um, but this is great because it's film criticism filtered through his characters, and it's very enjoyable. It's exactly what you'd expect from him. Um, so I like that. I do think when it comes to Rick Dalton, it it makes him a much more well-rounded character. It gets a lot more into his alcoholism, his insecurity. Like you say, he he's more aware of where he where he stands. He, you know, I I feel like, and it's been a while since I've seen the movie. He's kind of oblivious. He comes off as oblivious in the movie to the fact that he's kind of his career is setting. Well, no, he he is aware, but it's it's underlined more right. in the book. Right. It's just that he gets to live in that space more. There's nothing. Yeah. He's not different by any means. He just gets to play some of those notes longer and yeah. to the point where like there's. So the you know the the famous speech in the movie about how he almost gets the the job in the Great Escape mm-hmm. is you know is a there's a giant extrapolation of that story in the book, and that's really where you get to see you get to see the depth of Rick Dalton. It you get to understand you you get to understand in the book that he's not stupid. Mm-hmm. And the movie lets you live with the possibility that Rick is just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> not unaware, not dumb, not adult, just kind of stupid. <laughs> it, it really underlies, it, it really casts a new light on his relationship with that story, which, you know, the, the great escape scene is kind of, it, it's a quick gag in the movie. And it comes up several times in the book and how he feels about it is really brought out in a way. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that character was brought out in more depth. 
I had a few more problems with Cliff Booth as a character. Like, I think the issues I had with this are all surface level me issues. Like, oh, I don't enjoy this. Um, Cliff Booth, kind of a monster in the book. <laughs> um, he, he's a murderer. He's, he's not just as what he kills. We learn that he's killed many people. <laughs> he, he was a dog fighter. A handful of people. Yeah. I, I mean, many outside of combat might be stretching it. Let's be fair. The many comes sure. from combat, but yes, a handful outside of combat. Yeah. Sure. It's it's funny. My my reaction to the character change, like Brad Pitt's performance is one of the most enjoyable things in that movie. And without Brad Pitt there to kind of leaven it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like Cliff Booth. And maybe I'm not supposed to. You're not. But, uh, that's but, the great that's that's why I really that's another reason I like the book. It 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 that's supposed to be pretty clear. Uh, and no, it's not supposed to be pretty clear. You know, he's, I believe the term Tarantino uses, I've heard at one point to say, well, no, Cliff's sketchy. <laughs> that's, that's a really good way to, to say it. And he doesn't come across that way in the movie, no. really. Um, and then there's just things, they're, they're the typical Tarantino frustrations I have. Um, and they're all on display. Um, the N-word makes a few appearances. The F slur makes a few appearances. There's a, his writing about sex always comes off as very juvenile. And those were the things where I was like, oh, Tarantino's doing that thing. I don't like it when he does. Uh Um, And I had no illusions that he wouldn't do those things I don't like. Sure. And I think those were the things that kind of kept, I I feel like when he's, they're all in his films, but there's something about the collaborative nature of that that I think kind of dulls them a bit for me, or at least, makes me feel like someone's tempering his worst impulses this is where every impulse can come out to play and it's indulgence in the best and worst ways i, I think it, it is a novel i could not like i could not put it down i i read it very quickly <laughs> and it's a it's a hefty novel i was kind of expecting oh this is you know he's just kind of fooling around with this it'll be 200 pages it's 400 pages exactly and i read this in the course of a week um, so yeah, it's just the typical frustrations I have with him that I think are a little more on display. That's I can understand that. Yes, if that if that is a if if that is a bother to you, yes, and they're definitely more on display. Like we we're saying, in the I think in the first half of the book, I you yeah. know I I am willing to let all of that go for what what pays off, and also for the really great again because he has thought through Rick Dalton's entire career. You know, getting the whole, it must be, again, I didn't count it, but it must be 20 to 25 pages devoted to the plot of the episode, the pilot episode of Lancer (laughs) that he is shooting. Like, that's like, that is such, I mean, yes, that, that to me is certainly indulgent. And at the same time, thank goodness. (laughs) I'm so creative to refashion a 60s television western episode and to be able to write it using language you could not use uh on in that said episode is fantastic and it is on point like it's not i don't mean to imply it's indulgent in the sense that it stops the book or it's not fun to read or this is just something he wanted to do yeah, it is something he just wanted to do. And at the same time, he figured out a context and a form in which he could write it and make me want to read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what he wanted to do was when he was actually getting to the shooting of that Lancer episode in the movie. 
he wanted it to be this break where all of a sudden it feels like you're watching a totally different movie. And there are elements of that. Like the camera moves a certain way where you feel like you're watching a movie rather than watching a movie get made. But this goes much longer and it's much more epic. And it basically turns into a Western short story. Uh, And that is like, I I knew, I knew he had done something like that because I had read a review of it and I was kind of dreading it. And then when it happens, I'm like, oh no, this is actually really enjoyable. This is, this yeah. part is really well written. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it is, an, I, I would be really curious to see what he could do with a novel not based on one of his films because I couldn't ever really stop comparing the two. Um, I would love to see him do an original film, but I also kind of don't want him to quit his day job. You know, he keeps threatening to retire after the 10th film. And he's always said he would go write novels. And this makes me think he'd be pretty good at it. <laughs> I, would, I would gladly read another one, original or no. I, 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 it, is, it, it, it is, especially if he just kept doing it, he could find, you know, another layer of popular culture to dive deep into. Probably not one that he loves as much as this. It's readily apparent how much he loves these actors and these stars mm-hmm. that he's referencing and writing about. I mean, it's he makes it clear, I think, in that Elvis Mitchell interview that you know Rick Dalton is basically built on Burt Reynolds. That 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 yeah. really is who it's supposed not you know not specifically, but that's the kind of person he's writing about. I'm sure there are other actors he loves just as much that he could invest that much imagination and time into to flesh out a story as realistic as this one. Uh, I, I, I am, you know, I, I encourage this better this than so many other things he could do. <laughs> you know, if, he, if he's really insistent on not making movies anymore, you know, I don't, I, I have always thought of Quentin as, a writer, even as a director, he understands how to shape his films. You know, it's it, and to, in order to tell a story, and I think he knows how to do that in the in the written form as well. I, I think he's, I think he can do both. I think, oh, yeah, yes. yeah. When he's I a, say don't quit your day job, I don't mean because you're a bad writer. I mean, right? No, I, get I would take pleasure from watching his movies. Yes, agreed, 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 agreed. There's a uh, there's a chapter about Cliff's uh, like encountering Aldo Ray. Uh, oh. Speaking of the way he he makes this more of a love letter to actors, and and I also I appreciated that. I also thought there was a I, I like the way he drew out the scene, uh, which is my favorite in the movie of uh, Sharon Tate watching herself on the screen. Yes, yeah, that's a be- both of those passages are are just wonderful in the book. That's. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's. I'm. I'm really glad he did this. I. I, yeah, I, I hope it's not just a detour that ends. I would love to see a second Tarantino novel. I'm. I'm very glad he did this instead of us getting the R-rated Star Trek. He was. Uh, he was. <laughs> uh, not that I wouldn't see the R-rated Star Trek, but this. This feels like it was something more of a labor of love, and I'm sure the Star Trek episode or movie would be a labor of love too, but. That's not going to be his 10th and last movie, and nor will he remake Reservoir Dogs. Nice. Something else he's talked about, which I can't believe he would do. But uh, Well, a topic for another podcast is also the fact that we're facing a world potentially with no more Quentin Tarantino movies and no more Coen Brothers movies. And uh, 
that has me a little worried about the future. <laughs> nah, I'm I am Ethan has always had other interests, and I I don't know where Joel is. I have a hard time believing if you're married to Francis McDormand, you won't get the itch to make some movies at some point. That is true. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this book report basically was what this was, and uh, I had fun doing it. Um, we are going to jump right back into our summer of the 70s a series with our next episode. We will be talking about Terrence Malick's Badlands. Uh, so I hope you'll join us in two weeks for that. In the meantime, Perry, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy Ann Lance Show on WLBY in Ann Arbor. And you can hear me at the Cathode Ray Mission podcast on occasion. Uh, so check all of those out. Chris, where can we read you? You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can find me on Facebook. And you can subscribe to my newsletter, Criticisms, where I write about movies and TV. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to coming into this fall, seeing uh, seeing some of the good fall releases uh, that are going to come out. And also I'm continuing my Summers with Spielberg series, which will be into the fall soon, September's with Spielberg. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get through the rough patch of Always and Hook and uh, we'll get into Schindler's List and the 90s and, and things like that. So we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>